Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Let me draw your attention. My wife was nervous. She's in children's ministry this morning. I took this off our wall. She goes, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to talk about for me? I said, honey, trust me. Yeah, all right. Um, You'll notice um, this hangs there. It's pretty cool. There are family rules. Keep your promises. Share. Think of those before yourself and say, I love you. Listen to your parents. Do your best. Say please and thank you. Always tell the truth. Laugh at yourself, hug often, use kind words, and love each other. You see the biblical principles behind that. I think we got that out of some place up in the mountains. It was just really good, and she's had that in our house. We have all these different plaques in our home that help us remind us, writing those things on our foreheads and our hands and reminders. Let me ask you a couple of questions kind of center us here. Do families have a certain set of rules or norms that they walk through? Do you agree with that? Some of the rules are good. Some of them are a little wild. Um, Do businesses have certain norms and rules? You might be in a business that allows you to work from home. You have others that you show up on time or you're docked pay. This is part of the rules, right? Um, How about countries? Do countries have rules and norms? Yeah, a little bit different uh, since President Trump took over versus maybe some former presidents, right? Um, Dealing with um, ISIS or North Korean dictators, uh, there might be some differences in the way response to Israel. How about our, I'm probably going to preach sometime in the future about the significance of our president selecting Jerusalem to be the capital or acknowledging Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. But certainly different. There's, there's different norms. There's different rules around families. In our household, for example, one of my wife's rules is I need to sit at the head of the table. Now, as long as I get something to eat, I, I'm good. But no, you're to sit at the head. Yes, ma'am. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm done arguing with her. I'll sit at the head of the table if that's what she needs, right? And so there are certain family rules and family Circumstances, business family, uh, business rules. Would you agree that the kingdom of God has covenant rules that are expected by the Father to be followed? Yes? I get an amen on that, right? Okay. That's pretty straightforward. Then why is it that we sometimes don't do that? (laughs) We don't follow the covenant rules. What is it about? sin in us and self-centeredness that really gets us. But a covenant family, it is different. Can you give me a scripture? Think of a scripture when Jesus said, you're either a child of the devil or you're a child of the Lord. Remember that scripture? It wasn't actually a very encouraging scripture. He calls them whitewashed tombs, sepulchers. You, you, you have the word, but you don't understand the truth of the revelation. Therefore, you are children of the devil. And they wanted to stone him and kill him at that point. And then he goes on and says, but you're not like that. You are children of the Most High. 
And so this morning, I want to I kind of unpack acknowledging that he is God, that he's really daddy, but he's more than that. He's the king of the universe. Now, everybody listen to me. He is the king of the universe. He is the one who is in charge. He sets the rules. He's the one who gets to decide how this is all going to go down. Is everybody hearing me? Because once you get that settled, you'll be in a much better place. Trust me. When I ran from that thing and I wasn't sure who he was. And because those who, let me give you a couple of scriptures. It says, Psalm 14.1 says, Psalm 14.1, if you want to keep, take out your outline and just jot a couple of notes and texts here. In Psalm 14.1 it says, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. You are basically an idiot if you believe there is no God. I just, you know, I don't want to be crowds, but that's what he's saying. It is just plumb foolish. I've had these arguments with atheists. It drives me. I said, it takes too much faith for you to believe there is no God. That we some kind came out of some lightning strike. Where'd the lightning come from that hit this mud that turned into some amoeba who grew a tail and grew up on, and then we, this, you got to be kidding me. And then science is now proving there is a Big Bang Theory. We know scientifically through wave formation and through the study of the light and the history of light, there was a time when let there be light happened like that. Boom! God said let there be light and guess what? There was. So to think that, well, you know, we just kind of, no. You're a fool. And one day you'll find out how foolish that is the more you run from God. But I want to flip this and try to be positive now. When we look at belief systems, words, one of the things that Jesus said, I'll give you a couple more scriptures, you might want to jot this down. Matthew 15, 18 says that the words that you speak come from your heart. The words that you speak come from your heart. He goes on in Luke 6.45. Luke 6.45, he says, you will know a tree by its fruit, right? You don't get blueberries from a thorn bush, right? You, you get fruit from a fruit tree, and it says, a good person, I love this. This is red letter, Jesus. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. I love that language. An evil person has treasuries from an evil heart. So I want you to think of a treasure box. Jesus says, a good person has produced fruit out of a treasury of a heart that is good and anchored in him. And so he, knew, he said, you'll know people by their fruit. Just... Just follow around a person for a day. Listen to their language. Go look at their checkbook. Look at their Facebook accounts. Look at what watch their list. And you will know what really motivates and what's at the center of them. But you'll also know it from the language that comes out of their mouths. 
So Jesus is saying, how important are words? Words matter. In fact, he says, you're going to give an account to every word and every thought and every jot and every tittle. Now that is like, wait a minute. You mean the time that I said stuff when I was not in a really good place? Aren't you glad that communion takes those places where we've messed it up and he takes the big eraser in the sky and says, let's take that away. Let's take that away. Let's take that away. Thank you, Jesus. He knew we couldn't make it. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up. And that's why he said, humble yourselves and draw close to God. He will draw close to you, James 4. He also says that if you'll confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful to forgive you from all your unrighteousness. Man, that is just really good news. So I want us to think about how important are the words that you speak. I'm going to give a couple of examples of words that are spoken. Now, if you hang around here any length of time, you'll realize you're going to get jumped on. If you use negative words, if you speak negative words, depressing words, cursing words, judging words, you're going to get pulled up short. Just, is Miss Nancy here today? She's probably taking care of Dr. Phil. Well, Miss Nancy Smith will tell you, man, if you say anything just slightly, right? Where's David? Oh, he's doing children. If you say anything slightly negative, she'll go, well, that's not allowed here. She'll pull you up short. Well, I want to show us a video, just a short one, about how important words are. You can say certain things one way, but if they're said in a different way, Proverbs goes on and says, let your words be seasoned with love and with grace. So I know I'm speaking to me, but I'm also speaking to some of y'all about um, speaking more, but asking the Lord to correct what's down in here. What's in my heart that's sneaking out of my mouth? It's got to be a heart deal. So I want us to see this. I thought this was a cute video. You got it, Jim? All right, let's roll it. Same. I wrote the same, but in different words. Thanks, love. Change your words, change your world. But really, the caveat I'd put on that is you really have to have a heart change 
or else you may just dress up your words. So the Lord is uh, really after us to change our beliefs deep down in. I'd like to start, would you turn with me? I've titled the message this morning, The Fear of the Lord Leads to Life, Bringing Security and Protection from Harm. Would you turn with me to, to um, Proverbs 19? Proverbs 19 and Chapman, verse 23. Be really good um, as a suggestion. There are 31 of these Proverbs to read one a day. There's just all these nuggets of truth that uh, King Solomon brings out. But here's one that says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. King James, that's New Living Translation. The King James, which is the word-for-word translation, says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall be satisfied, and he shall not be visited with evil. Would you like to not be visited with evil? Would anybody like that? (laughs) No evil visiting. You got a nice sign out there, no evil allowed, right? Well, Solomon says there's something about the fear of the Lord. In fact, turn back to... To, uh, and, and there's another scripture here in Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs 1.7, a familiar one that says that the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. The foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. King James says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I want to unpack this. We've talked a little bit about it in the past, but I want to unpack the fear of the Lord. I want to look at the the Greek and the Hebrew here, but let me just talk to you about um, different types of fear. If you read in the paragraph there at the top, for top paragraph, there is a fear that produces anxiety and results in a loss of peace, and it hinders true relationships with God. Let me stop there for a minute. Depending on how you might have been raised in a relationship, um, if you've got a father that was very harsh, or maybe a stepdad or somebody that was your caregiver, but you didn't feel the love at all, all you felt was the harsh, you either perform the way I said it, you do it as fast as I say it, or you're going to be in trouble. When that's going on, you create a, an echo of what is God the Father like. People who come into prayer ministry oftentimes have that circumstance. They'll come in and say, well, I don't know, you know, I, I need to be perfect or I need to perform for God or I need to do it just the right way or he's not gonna love me. Love is all conditional. Do it this way or I'm not gonna love you. That is a wrong relationship with God the Father. If you've been reared by a, a loving father, depending on who it might, a, a grandfather or a caregiver, someone who has recognized you, you don't need to be perfect, I love you just the way you are and encourages that relationship that we see. Now, let's look at some of the, the, these statements about fear. It says, see, the Lord wants us to reverence and honor him, recognize he's the king of the universe and he's in charge. Once you come to that, then I don't have to be afraid. I can relate. Look at the second part of this paragraph. It says, the, Lord, the correct fear of the Lord produces a reverence, a respect, here's a biggie, a desire to please him. Do you really want to please God? 
I want to ask you a question. Do you really want to please God? I want to ask everyone here. I'm serious. Look at me for a minute. Do you really want to please God? Do you really? That's just not Sunday morning. Do you really want to please him? You want him to accept the fact the actions that you're taking are pleasing to me. If you'll get that down in your, it's like there's a, love has a tremendous motivation as opposed to the stick motivator. I'll bang your head if you don't get in line. No, that, if, I, if you're not looking, I'll get away with it. But if you love God and you really want to please him, love is a motivator. And so the question is, if we get that revelation of who he is, then that brings us to a place where he's my daddy. If you can really call him Abba, Father, Romans 8, we're no longer slaves. We are children who call him Daddy. Think about that. Can you really, can you, when, I don't know about you, I, I was not raised to call my dad Daddy. Until he got saved, my dad was a, a loving father, but he was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines. He had four sons, and there were rules. I don't remember ever calling my father daddy. So some of you may have this, I respected him, I honored him, and after he got saved, it was a totally different relationship. Some of you have to work through the presence of God in your heart to be able to call him daddy. My daughter, Laura especially, but they all my girls, I have three girls, right? My son, my son doesn't call me daddy, he calls me dad. But my girls call me daddy darling. And I know when they want something, I get a text, hi daddy darling. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> There's something in that relationship. Now there may be a difference between relationship with sons and daughters and mothers and sons, I get it. But there's something I, I'm asking you really to, to check the motivation because this is about a heart message. What's really going on in here? What is the motive of your heart? What is the, the treasury? How is your heart doing? How is the treasury of your heart doing? And then the secondary question of that, which is a, is a sign of how is it in your relationship with the Father? Do you really sense him as this loving daddy? He's daddy darling. You can, it's like in your prayer time. Daddy darling, here's what I need. It's like, Father God. I'm, there, there's a difference. I'm, I'm not saying that we have to be gushy because some folks, I'm not into that. But there's something about the relationship. You're hearing me on this? There's something I'm asking you to really seek in your own heart, the motive of that relationship. What's behind it? How deep is it? Because it will actually set in motion the reverential blessing and the fear of the Lord that brings protection. So let's look at some more. I want to unpack a scripture, and I want us to look at this. It says, the apostle Paul writes, for you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Hear the words? You've not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. 
So that scripture in Romans 8 is that he goes on and there's two types of fear. Actually, there's several in the Greek. I've, I've listed them here. There's a positive fear. We get the thing uh, phobia or phobos. It's actually a positive relationship of fear. It's an attitude of respect and a response of reverence and wonder or a wholesome dread of displeasing him. A wholesome dread of displeasing him. There's this motivation so much in the heart of us. We love him so much, we, we really don't want to break his heart. Now, there's a negative side of this. It's called diilia, and it's the spirit of fear. It's the same one Paul told Timothy. This is God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. It's that same scripture in Matthew 25, 25. It says, remember he gave out, we won't turn there, he gave out five talents, five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold, according to their abilities. And it says the guys who had five and the ones who had two, they went out and multiplied and brought the king a return on that a major investment of their abilities. But the person who had one said, I was afraid. See, the relationship of fear, if you've got a father relationship that's wholesome and, ho and holy, you'll risk things, especially for the kingdom. In the kingdom, you get credit for trying. If you fail, guess what? That's why there's three strikes in a ball game. Get up, take another swing. You might knock it out of the park. Oh, I'm, I might strike out. You might not. So in the kingdom, there's something about relationship, and it says in this fear, there are definitely were two kinds of people in this operation. One was those who said, you've given me talents and abilities. Let me go see what I can do with that to advance your kingdom because I love you and I want to please you. The other one said, man, I knew you were harsh. You were a tough, I was afraid I would lose what you gave me. Therefore, I dug it in a hole and buried it, and I never advanced what you gave me. It's not a happy ending there. In fact, it's pretty callous. It says, take that guy, take his money, give it to the one that has the five, and throw that person into outer darkness. Yipes. Now, that's a place of fear. I was afraid, so I hid it. Well, um, if you look down the outline, it says family rules. I want us to think of covenant family for a minute. If we were to write down a number of the covenant family rules, if we were part of this relationship where Jesus the Lord, God the Father, and Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, in that relationship of family, there are certain covenant expectations or rules. And if you'll follow the family rules, you're going to get blessed. If you don't follow the family rules, you're going to be in time out. Right? My grandson, yesterday we were up at the farm in Burgaw and playing in the snow. And my wife came back and says, Gabriel, who's two, and we got little Annabelle. She's seven months. And they've been teaching little two-year-old, don't be rough with your little sister. Right? Well, he got rough with her. I guess he was wrestling with her in the bed <laughs> instead of watching the little show. And then later on, so he went to timeout for being too rough with his sister. Then he comes back, and his seven-year-old brother, um, he got jealous of him, so he took this fake camera that his toy got, and he slams it over his brother's head. So the two-year-old whacks him over the head, and so Isaiah gets up, and I mean, Elijah gets up, and he goes, Mom, I really just want a little, uh, Gabriel have it, but I'm not going <sighs> to... 
And he goes to his room in self-control instead of beating his brother up, which, wow, you got to give him credit for that, right? So Laura comes out and says, she probably doesn't mind me telling this, I pray. Um, what did you do? I hit bro bro with the camera over his head. Okay, come on, time out. She's got a shirt that says, I'm trying to be good. <laughs> he was wearing that yesterday. And so I say all that, that the family rules. There are things that you're allowed. How is your relationship with the rest of the family doing? Play nice. Share. Say nice things. Don't gossip. Don't judge. Don't be critical. Don't curse your brother or sister. Share your stuff. Give your tithes. Give your offerings. These are family covenant rules that if you will follow them, you will get blessed. He wrote them down, made it as clear as he possibly could, but we said, well, I like that word. I like that part about eternal life, but tithing? Oh, that can't be in the New Testament. Oh, really? Matthew 23, 23. I listed it there, Luke eleven forty two. 42. So there's this thing about family rules. We, we can't select what the king of the universe has set as our rules. Well, I'll cherry pick that one. I like that one, but I don't like that one. That one doesn't serve me. It really comes down to self-centered jealousy. That's really what it comes down to. I'm in rebellion. I want to do my stuff. I don't necessarily want to do his stuff. Or we justify, or we compromise. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did. Hmm. Covenant rules. Some of the facts of covenant children, This is I just listed a few here, but some of the actions that, or characteristics, if you like, of covenant walking children. This, this would be a good one to take a test of what's going on in your heart. Measure the treasury of your heart by these. Humility. How you doing in humility when people tread on your stuff? When they make you angry? Or they're unjust. Humility. Humble yourselves before God and draw close to him. James 4. He draws close to that. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is a big one. This is that place where, Lord, I don't, that's that whole humility. Even at the communion table, I come and I said, look, Lord, I know I'm really good at giving myself a lot of grace and judging others. That doesn't look like love your neighbor as yourself. So there's something about humility. How about purity? Seeking after righteousness. Purity. Righteousness. What does purity look like? Well, how are your thought life? How are you, you ever catch yourself in a thought that says, that's an awful thought. Am I the only one? Okay, there's a couple of you that are being honest here. That's, that's humility. That's good. No, I'm, I'm just messing with you. But it's, there's something about, Lord, that is an awful thought. That's why I love it when it says that your thoughts are not your own. They may not be. He says take every thought captive, right? Pulling down everything that raises itself above the knowledge of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, it says... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive. So as you run those thoughts through, one of these, that's, that's not a godly thought. That's not righteous. 
So covenant children, they walk in humility, but they're also constantly in evaluation of the pursuit of both purity and righteousness, but they're also in pursuit of his presence. That's why I told you, when we run a prayer meeting and the church is more full at the prayer meeting than it is on Sunday morning, then I'm going to start to believe we're on a track of something that is really amazing. Because even those who were called to the, remember Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until like the Father sends the gift? They started out, there were at least 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. But when the upper room, about 10 days in prayer without the Holy Spirit, that's what it says, he showed his presence to them. But on that 40th day after his resurrection, so they were at least 10 days in 24-7 prayer, and they got down to only 120 in the prayer room. But they're the ones that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not trying to make this a works thing, but there's something about, honestly, when my heart is in a treasury place, I'm in pursuit of both righteousness and purity and humility and his presence, and I have a purpose. I have a purpose. I'm not just taking up space here. I have a purpose. My purpose is to get on the wall and pray. He said, I looked for someone who would stand in the gap so I would not have to destroy the land. But he said, and I, he said I couldn't find anyone. When we find our purpose in God, I got, I got to get to prayer meeting. I got people in my family. I got loved ones. I've got to, I got to pray for the president. I got to pray for the nation. My words count. I, that Pastor Michael shared a few weeks ago about the bowls of the prayers of the saints in Revelation that are still there. And I think Pastor Willie also shares those, those prayers are never forgotten. They sit in this bowl ready to be poured out. In Revelation 4, it says, so there's something about I need to get with the brothers and sisters and be in prayer for the things that are going to matter to a city. It's one thing to have this nice thing, let's go serve a city and let's raise up leaders and raise a nation. Sounds like a nice title, but what are we doing about it? Are your tithes and your offerings and your prayer and your dedication going to a place that really moves the needle? I'm asking myself that. I'm asking, look, it's more than slogans. It has to be something in the treasury of the heart. So I believe this is a year. Let's stop playing games and let's really walk in this place. Let's, let's take a look at the motive. Take the mirror. Do a reflection. I've been doing that the last few days in this fast, saying, Lord, what is the real motive of my life. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? I think that's really, really healthy. In fact, we know from Paul, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, if you'll judge yourself, you will not be judged. Make your own self-corrections. So I want to look at a scripture in this closing time here. Um, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 35. I've been reading through scripture here, and I'm in Genesis 35, and Something just leaped out here that I think is relevant to where we are and some of the prophetic things that I've been hearing. We know scripturally the two greatest commandments, and I've listed them there in, in A under faith actions or faith acts, that we are to love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and with your will, depending on the translation. Basically, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are. That's another question. How are you doing in your love for God? How am I doing in my love for God? 
You got to love him with your mind. That's why you got to love him in your thought life. You've got to love him in your soul, which is your will. Are you willing? We, re- we sang a song, the son of David is willing. Remember Jesus said, when the blind, they came to him and said, are you willing? You can heal me. He says, I'm willing. How willing are you? How willing am I? You've got to love him with the will, with your determination that I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to love him with all of my will. Whether you feel it or not, Pastor Terry and I often say, well, I don't always have to feel it. And we always say, you don't have to feel anything. Just do what he said. Sometimes when my daddy, he, my dad had a, a paddle. Right, Mom? It was a four-foot paddle. Oh, don't talk about that. I was the oldest boy, I remember. And Mom would we'd come home, Dad would come home from work, and we'd been cutting up, all four of us boys, and Mom would tell Dad, he says, okay, boys, line up. And he had a, a Ferrari, fraternity paddle. And I don't remember what was on it, but I remember the paddle. I felt it many times. And we'd line up. He said, we'll start with the oldest. And whack. So there's this place where God wants us to line up willingly. Because when my dad would bring the paddle, I realized he's got a paddle. And I may not want to do what mom's saying right now. But I know there's a consequence to this. So I'll commit my will to stay out of trouble. But God says, I want your will lovingly. I want you to will to love me. So the question is, are you loving him with your mind? Are you loving him with your will? Are you loving him with your emotions? It's interesting. Love him with your whole soul, body, soul, spirit. Are you loving him with your physical body? That's interesting. That could be a dance, moving, flagging, marching around the sanctuary, um, staying up late on a New Year's Eve night, coming to church in an in a ice storm, taking risks when you drive. What, that, there's something about the, the desire for his presence to come. And so th- those are just questions. Love God with all that you are. How are you doing on loving your neighbor as yourself? First of all, you got to love yourself. That, that could be a challenge for some of us. You have to love yourself because he didn't make anything that wasn't valuable. But then you have to love your neighbor. So those are, obviously, those are two major. Now let's turn to Genesis 35. I thought that Jacob demonstrated here, at least Scripture captures, just to bring you back on some history here. Remember Abraham, the father Abraham, Isaac, his son, and Jacob. Jacob was the son whose brother was Esau. If you notice Jacob's relationship, it was kind of wild. Remember, his brother Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew, right? A bowl of stew. So his brother, who's the oldest firstborn of the twins, Jacob and Esau were twins, he's firstborn. Well, we also know that Jacob means deceiver or heel grabber in the womb. He grabbed the heel. And so, but Esau sold his birthright. So his his words had power. He chose to give up his birthright for something fleshly. I'm so hungry right now. I don't care about my birthright. Just give me the stew. So he gives his word curse to this, which turns out to be the blessing for Jacob. 
But Jacob is also a deceiver. He and his mom deceive Isaac. Remember when it's time for the blessing for Esau and Jacob? He goes out and his mom says, I know what to do. And they get some furry, the, the furriness that Esau is this hairy guy. And then they make his favorite stew and they, they convince Isaac that this is Esau, but it's really Jacob. So there's a deception. There's a family legacy of deception. But Jacob realizes this later when he takes off, his brother's gonna kill him. Esau's gonna murder him for stealing his birthright and his blessing. Mom says, get out. She never, the mother never sees the son again. Talk about a curse. You deceive and you get it. Then he ends up showing up at Uncle Laban's place. And what happens? He works for seven years. He's in, he's in love, right, with Rachel and Leah. But Leah's the oldest one. So what does Uncle Laban do? On wedding night, he slips Leah in the tent. And he ends up marrying the one he didn't want to marry at first. The deception, what's the point of that? Jacob was on a journey, and God said, I cannot have you be a deceiver anymore. I want integrity in you. And so he turns, and he's leading him, both prophetically, there's promises over his life, and if you look the early parts of Genesis, he stops at Bethel, and there's, the angels are ascending and descending, right? Remember, there's also a place where he wrestles with, with the angel at night and puts his hip out. That's all history. Well, in Genesis 35, look what happens. Jacob is now coming back. He's still afraid that Esau is going to murder him. In fact, Esau may have. He showed up with over 400 men. And there's this interaction. In humility, Jacob gets down and he bows seven times before his brother. And he has his whole family bow seven times. That in their culture was honor to a king. In humility, Jacob said, I realize what I did, and I'm asking you to forgive me, my brother. In humility. In fact, do you see all these flocks and everything, all the things God has blessed me with? I want to give them to you. His brother says, no, 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 no. He goes, no, it has to be. And Esau is moved. In fact, they embrace and they both weep at that point. There's a, there's a reconciliation of the heart. God was working on Jacob to the point now they've now reconciled with his brother. And in chapter 35, let me read this to you. I'm going to read out of New Living, verse 1. Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move. I think he's saying that to us. Global River, get ready to move. I'm going to move you through this year. There's some things. He says, I want you to move to Bethel, the house of God is what it means, settle there and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. I want you to look at some of the steps here. One, first God says, get ready and move. Go to the place, Bethel, and I want you to build an altar. God tells him to go and build an altar. That's interesting. God wants us to build some altars in our treasury. And so build an altar in your life. What are some of the things you're doing? It may be in your home. I'm not saying maybe a physical altar, but it could be a place of worship. You might have a special place in your house where you do your quiet time. It's you and your God place. Find a place where you can build an altar to God. If that happens, here's what happens. So Jacob 
told everyone. Now look at what Jacob does. He gets the word from God. We're going to move. We're going to Bethel. And he wants us to build an altar. So Jacob, the head, the patriarch of the family, says, get everybody together. First thing you do is I want you to get rid of your pagan idols. Jacob says to everyone in the household, get rid of your pagan idols. Number two, purify yourself. And number three, put on clean clothing. Do you remember what happened when they were leaving Laban? They packed up their whole family. He's got Leah, he's got Rachel, and they're about ready to leave. And what happens? Rachel steals Laban's pagan idols. You remember this one? Remember the story? So what happens is the one, the wife, the, the, the beautiful wife that Jacob loves goes ahead and steals pagan idols from her father. And the father sets off after them to track them down, finally catches up. Laban catches up with him, and he's going he's gonna to do some harm. Why have you taken my daughters? Why have you taken everything? I've blessed you, and you've also stolen my gods. And Jacob's wife is lying and deceiving. She goes in the tent. She sits on and says, I'm having my, my monthly period. I can't get up, Father. So he, he does not find the pagan idols. So she's a liar. She's a deceiver over witchcraft idols. The very act, and here's the watching of the words that happens. What does Jacob say to Laban? He says to him, if anyone has stolen your idols, we have not done that. But anyone who has, they deserve and they will die. Let them be killed. Well, Laban goes off, can't find them. You know, and I know, I believe, that later his wife produces these pagan idols and probably sets them up. But we're about ready to go to the house of God. I know that Jacob knows his wife of promise has stolen these witchcraft idols and he still has them. She still has them. That's why he said, we're going, God has appeared to me and we're about ready to change this script. There's no more deception and there's no more lies. I believe it would have been better as soon as he and she discovered we stole those idols from my father, we need to return them. They didn't. There's no discussion again on what happens to this, except this. Shortly after the move to Bethel, on, the, on their way to Bethel, right after that, they move again, and guess what? The wife of his promise dies in childbirth. You don't think your words have power? When that patriarch said, if there's anyone in here who has stolen these idols, they're going to die. Well, guess what? So we need to be careful with our words, but we also need to look at the, what I'll call the principles of faith here. Get ready. It's time to go. Purify yourself. Get rid of all your idols. You know what an idol is, right? Anything that's coming between you and God, anything that takes your focus away from God is an idol. It could be television. It could be money. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It doesn't have to be some statue sitting on a, on a table. Get rid of everything that you set your focus on that comes between you and God and me as well. So Jacob tells his family, we're going to build an altar, but I need you to get ready. I need you to purify yourself, and I need you to put on clean clothing. That's, that's interesting. We're now going to Bethel, and we're going to build an altar there for God has answered my prayers. Here's the revelation that Jacob had after all these years. 
When I was in distress, he has been with me wherever I have gone. Isn't that a good word? That's the revelation that God gets us to. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings. Part of it, earrings, they, they used them as good luck charms. What does he do? He buries them all under the great tree at Shechem. That's a whole different story. I won't get into this morning. It says, as they sent out, terror from God came over all the people in the towns and the areas, so no one attacked Jacob's family. There's something about purity. You see, that goes back to this proverb, 1923. Those who fear and reverence the Lord, he brings protection. In fact, it says, he will even make his enemies, when a man's ways please God, he will even make his enemies to be at peace with him. This is God in the action. So this is that place. Get rid of all your idols. Get rid of all the stuff. Build altars in your life. Work and pursue purity and purpose. And when God does that, the enemy is going to fear and tremble about messing with you. So this has benefits to us as both as a church and as a family and individuals. Let me just read on a few more verses here. Eventually, Jacob, verse 6, Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Bethel, also called Luz, in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since then, it's been called Oak of Weeping. Now Jacob returned to Padan Aram. God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob any longer. You now have a new name, Israel. God has renamed him Israel. God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, and many nations, kings, will come from your descendants. And I will give this land again once I had promised. I gave it to Abraham and to Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants. Then God went up to the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar, marked the place where God had spoken. He poured wine and oil over it, offering it to God. He anointed it with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God spoke to him there. And we find out, the death of Rachel. I don't know if God wanted him to leave Bethel, by the way. It doesn't say that, but it says, remember he took move to Bethel, we're going to Bethel. He decides to leave Bethel. Leaving Bethel, verse 16, Jacob and his clan moved to Ephraim, Ephrath, but Rachel was in labor. It was a hard delivery. Rachel is about to die, and with her last breath, she names the child, son of my sorrow, but now Israel, Jacob, steps in and says, no, his name is Benjamin, which means son on my right hand. And Rachel was buried there. So what's, what's the point of today's message? There is a place of protection when we reverentially honor God, truly reverentially honor and honor him in a way. So the question and the desire here is that we, as we sit here on the eve of this new year, we would really ask God, what's the true motive of my heart? Do I really want to please you? 
And if that's the case, then Lord, I want to start walking in these acts of faith that I can build altars in my life, that I can truly look for the places where there is a lack of purity and purpose, where I'm not in the place of humility and seeking after you. If we have a body of believers, as a family of covenant members, will come together and ask God to take us in that place, he will lovingly do it. And then we've been asking God, we want to see more signs and wonders. I want to see the cancer completely disappeared. I want people to come. I want us to be known, not because of some banner that we get to fly, but I'd like people, we hear it. I heard it a few weeks ago from a man who was at a coffee house. I don't know if Dell's here this morning. Dell was at a coffee house. He was wearing his airborne shirt and he was reading the Bible. And two guys who are ex-airborne came up to him and said, hey man, are you a believer? He said, yeah. And uh, he said, well, man, what are, you, what are you reading? And they shared and he goes, where do you go to church? He goes, I go to Global River. He goes, man, I heard about that place. We got to get over there. You guys would pray for deliverance and healing, right? And so I don't want us to wear that as a banner of pride or arrogance, but God ought to be known, right? God ought to be known. You and I, we carry. Ron's been sending out these, these posts every day. He sends it to the men's group, and he's been doing a journal, a, a devotional from Bill Johnson. The last three days, I got them all on my phone. I'm loving them. I like meditating on them. But part of the message for this that Bill Johnson, our, one of our daddies in the spirit here, has been you as kingdom covenant people carry a grace. You carry something on the inside. You may not be aware of it, but you carry it. Therefore, where you go, that grace of God is released. Therefore, as a body of believers, when we start walking in this place, the grace of God ought to make a difference we're not, we can't just sing, you're the God of healing. You're the God of... It needs to be relevant. It needs to be real to a people who are dying and tormented. Yesterday, I got a call from a man in Virginia. I ministered to a police officer probably 15 years ago. And his, he's witnessed to a friend who used to work with him as a police officer. He says, my marriage is falling apart. And he says, I, I was told I could call you. You do that deliverance thing, Right? I said, well, we do inner healing. And so I prayed with him on the phone, and he and his wife, they're going to probably come down from Virginia. Our actions need to be more than some banner or something written on a page. So my desire is really, would you please go with me this year? Would you go in a place, if you're off course somewhere, You've got doors that are open, that are unrighteous, unforgiving, bitterness, resentments, hatred, racism. You're in a place where you've opened doors to impure thoughts or impure actions. Would you make some corrections to your life? I promise you, if you'll go there, God will forgive you. And at that place, suddenly God will come into a place where we're going to start walking as more and more as a group of body of believers that will be in a place where we can minister to people that are broken and hurting. Love God, love people, walk in the Spirit. That's what we want to do. We desire this. When, when Jamie and Mark got up this morning and their, their heart was to pray acoustically, the, the thing that took place this morning, where all of a sudden we're the body of Christ, and I saw several people, then all of a sudden people started grabbing hands across. Something happens in the Spirit realm that God wants to do with us. We just got to cooperate with them. Does that make sense? Can, 
Let's stand and we'll be dismissed this morning. And I want to invite the ministry team. If you're here this morning, you know who you are. You've been trained and equipped. Would you come? Pastors, come. And if you're here and you, you just, I need somebody to agree with me. For stuff I want to either let go or get free of. The journey starts with the engaging of the will. And I'm going to do this. And the Lord promised, he said, if, if you'll acknowledge me before men, I, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. There's an acknowledging. Tomorrow in your workplace, in the schoolhouse, in your neighborhood, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the things that Christ has shown you. Take a stand for righteousness. Do it lovingly. Because remember, the blind man had the same message. All the lady did was change the wording that ended up changing the blessing of the world of the one who was blind. So Lord, would you show us how to be wise in the way we treat the people of the world because the people of the world are headed in a destructive place but we're a people of covenant and we thank you for the promise that you're going to cover us. So Lord, now I pray that you'll search our hearts. There would be a, a true, as we're finishing this fast this week for a breakthrough, for families, for healings, for salvation, for restoration, for reconciliation and we've been hearing of families coming together, even years separated in the last few weeks, God has been bringing together that connection. God, that's the God of reconciliation who does things. I'm a God of peace. So Lord, I pray right now, Father, that we would see signs and wonders as a body of believers this year. We would be wondering at some of the amazing things you're doing. I thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being part of that covenant family no matter what happens, we know we're with you, that we shall live forever with you because of the promises that your son made for us. So I thank you, Lord. I ask you now to let your face shine upon your people here and give them peace. God bless you. Don't forget, Wednesday night we'll be here. Jamie, Mark, can you guys come and uh, we're just going to do some light worship. If you need prayer, please come. Don't leave here without it. God bless you.